This teaching comes to you from the team at Anchor Church Sydney. We hope you're blessed by it. For more teachings, resources or info, check out our website www.anchorchurch.com.au We're going to get stuck into the Word now, so if you've got a Bible, keep it open at Mark chapter 12. We're going to be looking at that verse in particular this morning. But just a little bit of a caveat as we start. As I was preparing for this sermon this week, it kind of rocked me, if I'm honest with you. And I realized that as I was preparing for this, my own love for God wasn't as deep and as thorough and as thought out as I either desired or perhaps thought it was. I realized this as I began to read the heroes of our faith and the the spiritual giants like Jerry Bridges, who said this in his book, Disciplines of Grace. He said, often in the morning, I awake with the words in my mind, I love you, Lord. I can hardly wait to get dressed. I wanted to be with God. I wanted to be in his presence and in his word. And I read those words and I think, I mean, I'm not like that. I want to be like that. It's, it's difficult to preach a sermon on loving God. I've got to be honest with you. Particularly when you realize that personally, you've probably been swimming a little bit more towards the shallow end than you would care to be honest about. And so this sermon is a confronting sermon because it confronts us with a significant gap in our lives. But as I've been preparing this, I've also been stirred and inspired to want to love God more. Partly as I've reflected on God's love, but partly as I've been inspired to see what it looks like to live a life that loves God with everything, with reckless abandon. And so that's my prayer for us this morning, that as we look at this passage about what it looks like to love God, that we would actually do that more. That you would take a deeper step in your relationship with God. That you would be able to love God with more of who you are as a result of today. The tricky part is when you want to preach a sermon like that, my inclination is just to want to preach about God's love because I can't actually make you, I I could say to you, love God more and it may not work. But if I can unpack for you the love of God for us, Man, that's, that's what stirs a response of love in us. And I would love to preach a whole sermon on that, but I can't because it doesn't quite fit with our sermon series. And I'd probably get in trouble with Brad for you know, breaking the, the flow of the series that he so wonderfully designed. So I'm not going to do that. I'm going to talk about our love for God. And so we need God's help for that. We need God's help that he would speak to us and change us. So would you pray with me as we come before him in his word? God, as we think about this topic of what it means to love you, it's so easy for us to feel guilty. We, we have a deep longing to love you. And even when we express that poorly, our hearts yearn to be people who would love you with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our mind and strength. And so today, God, I pray that you would do a a work, a supernatural work by the power of your spirit to help us encounter your love and to help us to respond to your love for us. That every single person would walk out of this room this morning more in love with you, loving you deeper, knowing what it looks like to swim towards the deep end of our faith. And God, we need you. So we pray that you would speak to us We're expectant to hear you speak. We ask that you would transform us by your spirit. And all of God's people said in Jesus' name, amen. 
Amen. Well, talking about the topic of love, it's interesting that uh, The Batchy has started. The new season of The Bachelor has started again. And um, I know that that means some of our gospel communities are going to be shortening their Bible study so they can quickly hit play on. But there is, you can record it, right? You can watch it on catch up. So just, just for the GC leaders, so you know, right? But the premise of The Bachelor is this 24 women all looking for love happen to date the one guy, the same one guy, I mean, which is totally real. I mean, that is total reality, right? Of course, if you're looking for true love, just go and find someone who's currently dating 23 other women, and I guarantee you, you will find true love right there. And the whole point of the show, if you're a contestant, is to try and make The Bachelor love you, right? That's, that's the point of the show, to try and make The Honey Badger love you right, if that's what you really want. And I wonder really, I wonder if it is true love, really. Like, uh, the cynical part of me thinks it's just a PR campaign to try and get semi-famous so that you get invited to the subcategory of famous people party thing, you know, like. But they're trying to convince The Bachelor to love them. And it's a feeding frenzy, right? It's, it's game on, and I'm pretty sure the entertainment value is just watching people fight and turn into year nine girls. In fact, it does remind me a little bit of youth camp back at MBM, because when a Viglione boy came on youth camp, the girls went crazy. Honestly, honestly, when Isaac Viglione was on youth camp, it was just like all the girls were like, I want to sit next to Isaac. I want to sit on the table next to Isaac so we can see Isaac. And then Sam shows up and she just broke all of their hearts. Absolutely broke. Thankfully, Joel and Nicole have been dating since they were three years old. So... That never happened with Joel because he was kind of spoken for straight away. The Bachelor is about trying to make this person love you. That's a difficult task. You can't necessarily make someone love you. In fact, I remember Tash and I, we had a, a couple of mutual friends, a friend of hers at work and a friend of ours at church, and we thought they would make such a great couple together. So Tash tried to set them up. And it didn't quite work out. And she's like, why? Why didn't you like him? He's such a great guy. He's a Christian. He loves Jesus. He plays the drums. He's really cool. And she was like, I'm just not into him. You can't force someone to love them. And that's the difficult thing when it comes to a sermon like this, because I can't force you to love God. But that's in fact what Jesus demands of us, that we would love God with everything, all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, and all of our strength. This morning we continue our series called Follow Me. It's about discipleship. And our working definition of a disciple is someone who is learning to love and live like Jesus. Someone who is learning to love and live like Jesus. Learning with your head, loving with your heart, and living with your hands and your life. And last week Mitch, as he preached for us, reminded us that being a disciple is about being a learner. Remember his little L-plate thing? That was a good illustration, bro. Well done. The L-plates, that's what it looks like to be a disciple. We're learners. We're always learners. We're learners for the rest of our lives. And we are renewed. We are transformed as our minds are renewed. That's what it looks like to be a disciple, to learn, to love, and live like Jesus. And so this week, we're focusing on the love part. If last week was about being learners, this week is about being lovers. We're to love God. 
Following Jesus is about a dynamic, exciting relationship. It's what it's about. We love God. We're not ashamed to say that. We love God here at Anchor. Right? That's what we're about. We love God. And this is a profoundly thankful love. It's a love that loves in response to what God has done for us. It's what John says in 1 John 4.19. We love because He first loved us. God is the one who took the initiative of loving us. It's a responsive love. It's a thankful love for what Jesus has done for us. We love God. We love God because He has taken out that cold irresponsive heart of stone and he has replaced it by his spirit with a heart of flesh that is responsive and sensitive and loving. We love God. This is the true difference between religion and relationship. It's the difference between legit, genuine faith and nominal faith. You see, religion and nominalism is cold. It does out of a sense of duty. It obeys out of a sense of obligation. But relationship is different. Relationship does out of joy. We do out of response. We worship with everything. It's about loving God. And so if we're going to talk about what it looks like for us to love God, that's where we've got to start. We've got to start with God's love for us. Otherwise, our love becomes earning. It's kind of like, well, if I love God enough, then he will love me. It's not the message of the Christian faith. The message of the Christian faith is God has loved you more than you could possibly care to imagine. And we love in response. And it's an all or nothing type of love. It's a love that is reckless. It's a love that's sacrificial. It's a love that crosses the universe. It's a love where God comes and gets his hands dirty and dies for us. And we love. Because he first loved us. Love is central to what it means to be a Christian, to be a follower of Jesus, to be his disciple. We love God and we love others. And those are the two things I want to focus on this morning from that passage that Katie read for us. Loving God and loving others. This is how Jesus responded to the question that he got from the teacher of the law. In Mark chapter 12, The teacher comes and says, which is the greatest commandment? And Jesus says this, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus quotes there what is known as the Shema. It's a reference from Deuteronomy chapter 6. And the Shema is the very first prayer that every young Jew would learn. Off by heart, they would learn. This is the first prayer that they would learn. And they would pray that prayer twice a day. It's the first thing they would pray in the morning. And the the last thing that they would pray at night is the Shema. The Shema is, in Hebrew, goes like this. Shema Yisrael. Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. And they would pray this prayer every single day. Love God with everything that you've got. That was central 
to Israel's worship of God and it is central to our worship of Jesus, to love God with everything and it begins with the heart. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. You can't simply follow Jesus cerebrally. Being a Christian is not simply an assent to a bunch of propositions about God. It's not what it means to be a follower of Jesus. True knowledge of God is earth-shatteringly transformative. It changes us. It shapes us. It leads to worship of God. Remember James in his book says, you believe that God is one? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. It is not enough to simply know about God. We ought to know God in a way that leads to worship, that leads to response, that leads to transformation, that shapes and changes our hearts. Following Jesus is about having him as the thing that we treasure most above anything else. He is our highest affection and desire. We love God with everything. We love him with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our mind and all of our strength. It's just another way of saying with every fiber of your being, with everything that you've got, we love God. It's kind of all or nothing, isn't it? There's no sort of middle road there. No room for indifference or apathy. You can't love God with a fraction of your heart or a portion of your soul or a percentage of your mind or some of your strength. We love God with everything that we have, all of it, all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. Some have called this the all commandment. We love God with everything. You know, some time ago I noticed that on Facebook they added an interested button to events. Anyone else seen that? You can click interested when someone invites you to an event. It's not a yes. It's not a no. It's an interested. It's kind of like saying, I like this event. This is a good event. It's the type of event I would attend. In fact, I endorse this event. I'm just not sure I'm going to attend. I need to wait and see what else comes up. The interested button, like why did Facebook put that there? That is like a little window into our culture. Our culture that is so commitment phobic. And in a culture that has such a fear of commitment, that just wants to kind of be interested in things, I want to say to you this morning, you can't kind of follow Jesus. You can't just be interested in Jesus. This is all or nothing. We love him with everything that we've got. God deserves our all. In fact, he demands our all, all of our devotion, all of our affection, a supreme love. We love God passionately and enthusiastically and nothing less will do. But I wonder if you love God like that. If you look at your life, is that the tone that you see of your response, of your worship? If I'm honest with you, That's not necessarily true of my life. There's a significant gap between my desire and the actions that play out. You know, I don't think any of us necessarily really quickly identify with the rich young ruler, the story that Jesus tells just before this one. But my guess is that 
his struggle is probably more real than we care to admit. This is what happens in Mark chapter 12. As the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and says to him, What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus responds, Well, you know the law. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not covet. And this is his response in Mark chapter 12. Teacher, all these things I have kept from youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and then come follow me. You see, what nails the rich young ruler and I think what nails me and all of us is that we can't even keep the first one, the very first commandment and we we can't even do the first one because all of us have these objects in our lives that steal our affection away from God. These things that we put there, that we love, that we treasure, that we behold more than the one we should. And this stinging command for this rich young ruler to leave his money and give it away and come follow Jesus is what is required of each and every single one of us. But as we think about our lives and the response, we can often be left feeling guilty. And I know, if I'm honest with you, that was where my heart was at this week as I was preparing this and reading the heroes of the faith, thinking, it's not like that. And then I feel like the Spirit reminded me of Peter. Remember Peter? Good old Peter. Thank God for Peter. (laughs) Because we all identify with Peter, right? Remember Peter is the disciple who says to Jesus, Jesus, all the others may abandon you, but I won't. In fact, I will die with you, Jesus. Peter, who was so assured that he was not going to let Jesus go to the cross, whips his sword out and chops off the high priest's servant's ear. And then just a few moments later, Peter, who then ends up denying Jesus three times. And one of those times, he denies Jesus to his face. And then in John chapter 21, we have this beautiful moment where Jesus, after his resurrection, comes to John And he says to him, John, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, of course I do, Lord. Of course I do. He says, feed my sheep. Three times. (coughs) Three times to counter that denial. Jesus invites Peter, who has loved him imperfectly, who has loved him with a flawed love, who has loved him in a way that denied him. And Jesus still invites Peter into his service. I find comfort in that. Knowing that Jesus can still use people who are flawed and imperfect. And this is a crazy thought. That God in his mercy allows us to love him imperfectly. Isn't that phenomenal? That God in his mercy, because of what Jesus has done, allows us to love him imperfectly. Wow. Thank you, Lord. (coughs) We love God with everything, even if that means we love him somewhat haphazardly and half-heartedly at times. The call is to love God with everything. And since following God is not about mere externals, about observance and rituals that are outward, it means that we actually need processes of inner renewal. We need habits that would stir and nurture our affections for God. 
That's why last week when Mitch preached about learning to love Jesus, learning to be like Jesus as a disciple, he talked about not Bible reading, but our meditating on the Word. Not reading, but meditating on the Word, letting the Word go deep, allowing the Word to soak into our hearts, about inviting the Holy Spirit into that process. It's crucial because we all know people have read the Bible and it's never changed their life. I mean, anyone who's studied a Bible college knows the list of scholars and academics who have studied the Bible with multiple PhDs and there is not an iota of affection for God in their hearts. It's more than just reading. It's about letting that seep down. I was reading Francis Chan's book, Crazy Love, this week, and he says this, Jesus didn't command that we have a regular quiet time each day. Rather, he tells us to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. The result, the result of that, our intimate prayer and study of his word. This is how God longs for us to respond to his extravagant, unending love, not with a cursory quiet time plagued with guilt. I wonder if that's you. A cursory quiet time plagued with guilt, but with true love expressed through our lives. We meditate on the word. We let it sink into our hearts and affect our lives. That's also why we use the tool that Hope has developed for us, Fruit to Root, in our gospel triplets. Fruit to Root, the, the our process is up there on the screen, and I realize the print is way too small for me even to read, let alone you. But the process here is of identifying bad fruit in our lives and not just being happy with you know, fixing the fruit, fixing the problems here, because that is a symptom of a deeper problem. It's a problem at the root of our lives. It's a problem of false beliefs. It's a problem of improper assumptions about God and how he thinks about us. And so we deal with the root causes to the problems in our life. Not the externals. We go to the heart and we replace the lies with the truth of God's word. It's not about externals. Jesus' solution to our problem was never an out-in problem, an out-in solution. It's an in-out solution. We are transformed by the renewal of our minds. We are transformed as God shapes and changes our heart by His Spirit. And if we want to experience the Spirit's transformation in our lives, that is only going to happen as we shine the light of the good news of Jesus on the darkest areas of brokenness in our lives and allow him to heal that and redeem that. We go for the heart. It's kind of what Jesus was getting at in Luke chapter 6 when he says this. Luke 6.43 For no good, tree bears bad, no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor grapes picked from the bramble bush. The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good, and out of the uh, and the evil person, out of the evil treasure, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. This is far from external behavior modification. This is inner renewal, and that's what Jesus wants of us. That's what it looks like to follow Jesus. We pursue inner heart renewal. It's about loving God with everything that we have with every part of our lives, with every thought, we take that thought, we make it captive to Christ. Now, I've got to tell you, this is not a radical notion of following Jesus. 
This is ordinary, normal, standard discipleship for everyone. We love him with everything we've got. We're renewed as God changes us by his spirit from the inside out. So firstly, that is what it looks like to love God. We love God with everything, with every fiber of our being. Secondly, we love others as ourselves. And I realize I don't have much time for this, so I'm going to be quick on this one. Jesus says this. This is his command. Mark chapter 12, verse 30. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And the second command is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You see, we are self-loving, self-lifting, self-preserving, self-improving creatures. We love ourselves. That's Jesus' assumption. That's the benchmark for how we ought to love others, that we would love others the way we love ourselves. Now, this is not this new age notion that you can't love anyone else until you learn to love yourself. And Jesus says this is the order. Love God, love others. And when you do that, that's, what you will, that's when you will live the way that we've been designed to live. That's when you will experience true life. When you learn to actually lay your life down for others, not put yourself first, but live like Jesus did. The life that Jesus calls us to live is a life that he himself lived. In loving obedience to the Father and in loving sacrifice for others, And there's no clearer demonstration than that than the cross. Jesus died on the cross as an act of unwavering obedience to his Father. And he died as an act of unconditional love for you and me. Jesus lives the life he calls us to live. A life that loves God. A life that loves others. And church, if we would love God with an all-consuming passion, if every person in this church would focus on these two things, love God, love others, simple, and pursue that with every fiber of our being, with all of our strength and enthusiasm and energy, I promise you this church would see revival. I promise you our city would not recover from the lives that are impacted here by the love of God. We love God with everything that we have. You know, there's a billion stories I could share of people who have done that. People here today who love God with everything. But one of the stories that particularly struck me as a young leader was the story of Shane Viglioni, Isaac and Joel's late father. And I had the privilege of serving under his leadership at my last church, MBM. And we would often sit in prayer meetings, in team meetings, And Shane would pray. And you could tell that this was a man who was deeply impacted by the gospel and loved God with everything. Because I kid you not, every single time he prayed, he could barely get through the prayer without wiping tears from his face. This is a man who you could see the affection that he had for God flowing out of his life. And it wasn't just emotionalism, it was his commitment to the church. It was commitment to his family of loving his wife and raising his kids to love Jesus. It was commitment to serving people and laying down his life for others. And there's 
200 of us who do that every single week. And my encouragement this morning as we head out is to take another step today deeper in your faith, to swim further towards the deep end of your love for God. Maybe to hit the reset button. This morning we're going to respond and we're going to respond in a couple of ways. But maybe particularly there's a few of you here this morning who this has been relevant and pertinent for. And I want you to respond in a moment in a particular way. But as we respond in worship this morning, we're going to respond through the Lord's Supper. This meal is a tangible, physical reminder of God's love and commitment to you. That God has loved you with an all-consuming passion and love in giving His one and only Son to die for you. He could not love you anymore. And so I want to invite those of you who love Jesus, who have followed Him, who have put your faith in Him to come and enjoy this meal together this morning. Take the bread, which is a symbol of Jesus' body. Dip it in the grape juice, which is a symbol of His blood. Eat it and remember that you are loved. And in that moment, in that moment, I want you to pause and just tell God that you love Him and that today you want to love Him more. We're also going to respond in our giving as an act of love and worship, not as an act of obligation and duty. We give. This is for our Anchor family members. For those of you who call Anchor home, as the giving containers come around, if that is your method of giving, please give via that. If you're a guest here this morning, you are under no obligation to give. Simply let the giving containers pass you by or put your Connect card and pencil in there. But the final way I want us to respond is by praying. We have a prayer team here this morning. They'll be up the back during worship. They'll be down the front at the end of the service. They would love to pray for you. So please head to them and pray. And right now I want every person here to close their eyes. And I want to address a few people in this room this morning. There are some here today, and Revelation 2 verse 4 is true for you today. Where Jesus says to the church, you have forsaken your first love. Your love for God has grown cold. And today the Holy Spirit is calling you back to wholehearted, every fiber of your being love of God. Don't ignore that impulse today. Come back to Jesus. His grace is sufficient. He's waiting. Perhaps there are some of you here today and, and you're, you're just stuck in cold orthodoxy. It's dead religion. It's duty and obligation. It's rules. And today you hear the Holy Spirit calling you away from religion and into relationship. You hear the Holy Spirit calling you not just to know about God, but to actually know Him for the first time. That you would come and encounter Jesus' love for you and that would transform you so radically. Or perhaps, and maybe this is many of us here this morning, you desire to love God with everything. You want to go deeper. Today the invitation is to surrender your all, to go deeper in your relationship with God, to take your intimacy with God to a whole new level. 
to be open to seeing what God does with that. We are a church who loves God with everything that we've got. That's our prayer, Lord. Father, this morning as we hear this challenge from Scripture, we know that this is beyond us, that we cannot love you like this, but we thank you that we have one who has, Jesus who stood in our place and lived the life that we couldn't live and loved you the way that we could never love you and then died in our place and gifted us his perfect righteousness, that when you would look at him, at us, you see him. God, that you call us by your mercy to love you, even if it's imperfect. That's the desire of our hearts this morning, God, to love you. We do love you, Lord. And we want to love you more. And we want to love you with everything that we've got. God, today, we take the next step. I pray that every person in this room this morning would encounter your love. And I ask it in the strong name of Jesus and all of God's people said, Amen.